you go home for holidays and your family still is like, you do what? What does that mean? Like, does that mean you make radio? Hey, hey, Brian Miller here and welcome back to One New Person, the show where we take a closer look at chance encounters to remind ourselves that every interaction is meaningful and every person we meet is important. Today's guest is Alex DePama, an audio producer and rising celebrity in the podcasting world. Alex and I met in 2018 when I was a student in The Podcast Fellowship, an online course she co-created and runs with business legend Seth Godin, who will factor prominently in our conversation. Alex is the producer and editor of Food for Thought, named one of the best podcasts of 2017 by New York Magazine. She executive produced Rise and Grind with Damon John of Shark Tank fame and is now the producer and editor of Seth Godin's Akimbo. This episode is more a conversation than an interview and ranges on topics from the state of the podcast industry and pop culture to the difference between audio and visual mediums, when to pay attention and when to ignore stats and metrics in our work, how to navigate professional relationships, particularly when you're working with genius. And of course, Alex shares her story of a chance encounter with lasting impact. It will not surprise you, but it might delight you. It was an honor to chat with Alex, and I really hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Alex DePama, thank you so much for being here with me today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you. Yeah, you as well. So I, I got to start with the place I always start when somebody has an unusual job, like I do, which is if you meet someone at a social gathering for the first time and they say, what do you do? How do you answer? That's a good question. I always answer that I'm a podcast producer. Um, that has definitely gotten more, not acceptable, not acceptable is the wrong word. It has gotten, everyone knows what that is now. You know, I think like there was a period where especially people, podcast producers and like our little circles still joke about the fact that like you go home for holidays and your family still is like, you do what? What does that mean? Like, does that mean you make radio? Um, so yeah, it's actually one of those things that's like, you know, it's fun to say that you're a podcast producer because then everyone talks about how their favorite podcast and how they want a podcast and can you help them produce it? I saw a really funny tweet from another podcast producer that says like her biggest flaw is when she's like out at a party and has a couple glasses of wine. She always will say, yes, I would love to help you with your podcast. <laughs> and then like the next morning she wakes up and she's like, oh my God, I can't help all these people with their podcasts. But yeah, it's, it's fun to say. What do you say when people ask you that? <laughs> I, I have the worst answer for my own question. Uh, it used to be easy for 10 years. I said, I'm a magician. Well, that that's not easy. true. That's for, another one where it's like very intriguing. <laughs> it's like, I'm not an accountant. You're like, yeah. Al although it, the first five years of being a full-time magician, I, I struggled because I didn't want to say I was a magician, uh, which, which I just, I just had a magician recently on the podcast that hasn't aired yet. And, and he and I talked about that actually, because I've never done a kid's magic show in my life. I've only ever performed for corporate audiences. Uh -huh. So you say magician and people get that like, you know, clown shoes and a backyard barbecue kind yep. of thing. Yep. Uh, so, but eventually I just settled into feeling confident with what I did. And I would just say magician and somebody would say, oh, I love magic. Or I just saw America's Got Talent, or I just saw this movie. About, and then mm -hmm. you go from there. Now, yeah. because I'm a, you know, a keynote speaker yep. who used to be a magician who trains on perspective taking. I have no idea what to tell people. Anymore. I know that that's definitely complicated. And I always get caught up with 
again, not to, I'm not talking shit about accountants or something. Like when I, whenever people ask me that, and then we have a conversation, I'm like, what do you do? And they're like, I'm a analyst at a corporate, I'm like, yeah. I don't know, even know what to follow with. Do you know what I mean? Cause there's so many yeah. areas that I don't even know about, but yeah, magician, I would definitely be interested in. So it's interesting that you just said, I don't know what to follow with the, the question that I was going to follow up with you. You're a podcast producer. What do you love about that? Hmm. That's a good follow-up question. I love being a podcast producer because I, I feel like I get to learn things on every job that I have. So when I say job that I have, that usually would entail producing a podcast. So, you know, it might, that might be coming in with people who already have an idea for a podcast and developing it with them and doing the kind of stuff where it's like booking guests and writing scripts and being in the studio with them while they record. Um, and that could be working with people to develop a concept themselves, but either way, it's, it's always, I always sometimes will sit like not, not every time. Sometimes it's a chore to be in the studio during a recording, but for the vast majority of the time I sit in the studio by my with my little headphones on listening to these amazing conversations. And I'm like, I can't believe this is my job. You know, um, it's, it's every time I come out with something that I've really learned. And that to me is like, that's the greatest part of a job. Cause it's like for a long time, you know, previous. So basically I went to journalism school. I worked in public radio when I was working in public radio, that was another situation where it was like, I felt like I was always learning something. And after public radio, I worked in TV for a little while. And for whatever reason, I think it's, there's a lot more technical stuff that goes on in making TV. You know what I mean? There are a lot more meetings. There are a lot more, there's a lot more bullshit in some cases. You know what I mean? There's a lot of bullshit in podcasting too, but either way, like in my role now, I I feel like I have a lot of freedom to not just learn from people, but the real amazing thing, which you know, from doing this podcast and what we try to talk about in the podcast fellowship is you have the opportunity to pick the people that you want to learn from. Like you can reach out to a guest that you maybe wouldn't have any excuse to like have a conversation with and say, do you want to be on my podcast? So that's really like the magic of it too, is just kind of like seeing if I read somebody's book and I'm like, oh my God, I would love to talk to this author, like booking them on one of my podcasts, you know? So I think the learning thing is, is really key. Yeah. That's, uh, that kind of added bonus of it opening doors to people. You'd have no reason to be mm-hmm. in touch with otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's not why I'm doing this, but what a bonus for like my career. I mean, yeah. why not? If that's the only reason. Yeah. It is such a bonus, isn't it? Yeah. And, and people are genuinely, I, I think there's something about doing a podcast that now that people understand what it is, scares them less than like a video interview mm-hmm. or something. I, I'm not sure what it is. I guess it feels less like when, when you had the lights in your eyes or something about those professional lights that just freak so people out. I think so too. And as somebody who I, I'm getting more like, I don't love being behind a camera. I feel like it's like you kind of think about whether you're looking awkward or appearing mm. to be awkward. It's like, it definitely takes a little, I mean, you know, you can, you can sound awkward too, but I mean, it's, it's one less thing to worry about. I, I, do you think it's because we're, we're used to talking, we talk to mm-hmm. people every day, all the mm-hmm. time. And so you might feel awkward, I think for a second, but then people get into a, as long as it's a normal conversation, yeah, you get into a flow as opposed to video. You, you feel like you're trying to have the conversation. I know when I go on TV interviews, even though I've done a lot of them, I yeah. still always feel like Am I, do I look stiff now? Uh-huh. Am I too casual? If I lean back like this, am I going to, you know? Like, yes, totally. You know. I think you told, I think that totally is it. It's, it's much easier to get into the flow and just have a yeah. conversation like we're having now. Whereas I would do the exact same thing. If we were on camera, I would be worrying about my posture and how I'm sitting and moving. 
Um, but yeah, it's easier to be natural, I think, in audio. You mentioned the podcast fellowship, and mm-hmm. uh, even though I'm sure but, uh, I mentioned it in the intro to this episode, hopefully future me will remember to do that. <laughs> that, that, that was a weird time travel sentence. Um, I know that's my mean. that's my philosophy degree coming out. Yeah. Um, wh- why don't you uh, you know take a second? And I know you were just recently on Scott Perry's um, mm-hmm. awesome podcast, uh, yeah. Creative on Purpose. Right? What yeah, a great name really for a podcast, fun. by the I way. Just I nailed that it. name. Uh, I really enjoyed your conversation there and I listened carefully to make sure this one would not be redundant. Uh, so hopefully this will be different, but just, yeah, but just for, for my listeners, uh, can you explain what the podcast fellowship is? Absolutely. And I actually was with Seth yesterday. I don't get to see Seth that often. So it was great to be with him always. Here, Alex is referring to Seth Godin, a legend of marketing, 19 New York times, bestselling author and inspiration to millions worldwide including myself. But we were kind of talking about the origin story of the podcast fellowship. Um, so it's fresh in my mind. Seth has a family friend who is, I believe is a college student and she's really close with Seth. You know, she grew up with Seth and um, she called Seth at the beginning of the summer and she was, I think, a junior in college. And she said, Seth, can you help me find an internship? And Seth, you know, Seth's philosophy on learning, which is obviously genius and, and I guess you could say alternative, you know, it's not mm-hmm. the, the general approach to education and, and hierarchies of that kind of thing. He was saying, if you get an internship, like I could help you get an internship at, you know, someplace in New York city where you'll probably be like, you know, the classic, like making copies, getting coffee. I remember I was an intern at, <laughs> I was an intern at like a literary agency and that's mm-hmm. exactly what I did. I would like go in on Fridays and just like get coffee for people. It was cool, but I didn't learn a lot. You know what I mean? I put that line on my resume. So Seth's response, as as you know, you know him, he's a genius at shipping things. Like that's what he does, get projects out the door. He called me right after that phone call and said, we should start a podcast fellowship that would basically be like an internship. People at the end could say that they were graduates of a podcast fellowship because the the obstacle for this this woman who was his family friend was that her parents wanted something that seemed official. You know what I mean? Wanted something that was like, that was actually a thing. So his idea was to actually develop that thing and be able to, so that people at the end of the course, you know, it's not like a degree from Harvard, but we have our little certificate at the end of, at the end of the podcast fellowship. And it's generally, you know, it's, it's kind of an official program. It's something that people can enroll in and track their progress. And so that's really how it started. He called me the next day and was like, do you want to make a curriculum to do, um, a podcast class, an online podcast class. And we really just went from there. It was, it was honestly like I hadn't put together a curriculum like that previously. And for the first week or two, I was really struggling to like wrap my head around it. Similar before, before we started recording, we were talking about the challenges of being really immersed in a certain kind of technology or a certain kind of, in this case, podcasting. So it was really hard for me at first to kind of step back from everything I knew about podcasting and imagine myself as somebody who has never picked up a microphone, you know? So that process was really um, instructive for me. And at the end of it, we created the curriculum and Seth posted it on his blog and we kind of said to each other, if people sign up, like, let's do it. And if not enough people sign up, this was a fun experiment. And then in the end, in the first round of TPF, I think it was like 300 or 400 students signed up. The vast majority of those, like, graduated at the end and had podcasts published in 
iTunes and everywhere else. And then when we ran it again, we had even more. And um, the third round of it just started yesterday. And we have around 400 students for that one too. So it's really just like, it's just been amazing. I would never have expected that it was going to take off like this. I mean, and I would think that that is to a certain extent a result of, I, I think a testament to to Seth's entire career of building this this massive fan base and right. following that that you could go, ah, we don't really have anything, but let's see. And then, you know, 300 people signed up just because he said, hi, I have a thing. Isn't that amazing? That's, it is unbelievable. It's the dream, right? It's the to dream. Get there. It's totally the dream. And actually, I was just talking about um, this with my girlfriend last night who is has met Seth, loves Seth, but we're always surprised. She's a little younger than me, so she's like, watches YouTube all the time. I just don't, I just never like watch YouTube like that. Like she'll watch, you know, like she watches like bloggers, like just have like a two hour video of people of them, like cleaning their room or something. (laughs) Anyway, the point of this is like, she was saying to me that there's like, you know, like 16 and 17 year old, like YouTubers who are talking about how like the book that changed their life is like linchpin by Seth Godin. And she's like, I don't even know how, like, how do these people, like, does, does Seth, like, she was asking me if like Seth markets to like young YouTubers or young audience. I'm like, I don't think Seth markets himself, period. Like I, I, it's just like the quality of the work that like is reaching everybody. And it's not just a specific type of person. It's just like so incredible the, the number of people whose work he reaches. But I'm guessing if he were eavesdropping on this conversation, he yeah. would see, he would say, and yet statistically his work reaches almost nobody. And, True. He was, and so, yeah. so I'm actually, let me pivot on that point a little bit. I'm wondering, you talked in the fellowship about mm-hmm. avoiding metrics, especially at the beginning. Don't look mm-hmm. at your numbers. Don't look at the stats. Don't look at your listens or downloads. My question is, and that's common advice. And I give the same advice to young magicians just starting out. Don't worry about any of these things. Just get good at magic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point you have to start watching the numbers. Mm-hmm. When do you start watching the numbers? And in, in any field, you know, generically. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think, okay, so actually, and this is something that um, I'm still like poking around the, the Podcast Fellowship 2 forum that you were in. Mm-hmm. And somebody had just asked me um, why we don't recommend that people do a pilot episode. Like, why do we jump right into episode one versus the pilot episode? So the roundabout answer to this, I think, is the purpose of kind of doing these these first episodes and doing maybe a season of a podcast that you're just jumping right into and like a concept that we kind of threw together in the podcast fellowship over the course of seven weeks, that for me, even that whole series can be a testing ground. Like the, it doesn't matter to me like that it's like whether it's an, a pilot or an official episode one, because you can just like basically the beauty of podcasting, which we talk about all the time is like, it's so flexible. Like there are really no rules. So like, let's say, I think actually I was talking about this with Scott Perry. Like he initially had made creative on purpose with a whole different title. Like there was like a different concept for the podcast. And so like, let's say the first 15 episodes in his feed are that old podcast or like the, the former podcast. And then he like comes season two, you change the title and you do something completely different. So the answer to me is you start looking at the metrics when you start feeling really comfortable and proud of what you're making. So mm-hmm. Seth's whole thing and, and something that I've adopted and probably the biggest thing I've learned from him is don't let perfection stand in the way of shipping your product. Don't let perfection stand in the way of pressing publish on your episode. So that's not to say that you're not going to be proud of your first five or 10 episodes by any means. Like that's not what I'm saying. 
It's more that after your first five or 10 episodes or however many episodes, I think you're going to start feeling like really confident. And, and this is something I believe it's Steve Pressfield. And this is something I'm reading because Seth recommended it. Um, you know, the talking about kind of the art of resistance and, and the mentality of becoming a professional. So when you start to feel like you're a professional, that's when I think you can start worrying about like worrying less about the craft and developing the skills and then worrying about the metrics. Because I, I, I guess that's the bottom line is like, when you're developing the craft and developing the skills, it takes away from that if you're thinking about the metrics too much. There comes a point where you can do both, you know what I mean? Where you can be constantly improving, making your episodes better, refining your skills, and figuring out ways to market and think about your numbers. But I think in the beginning, that is distracting. So that's, yeah. I think, you know, why I recommend not paying attention to it. So it's, it's, the answer is you start, you start th- paying attention to the numbers when you feel like you're making something great. Does that that's, make sense? Yeah, it, no, it, it, it does. And it's obviously different for everyone and every project. Right. And I think, you know, I've it's done different so many- for everyone and different, every project, yeah. Yeah, I, I've had so many different projects and I, I'm up to like my, yeah, I mean, I'm on my second full career already, which is something <laughs> that, that, you know, going through a, a variety of different jobs and now two different careers, I've found that, like when I started my YouTube channel a few years ago, which is what I was doing instead of a podcast, because my, my team was like, you should have a YouTube channel and you should have a podcast. I was mm-hmm. like, pick a thing because I have only so many hours, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like I'm all, I, at that time, I was still doing 250 shows a year still. I was like, I that can't- so- many shows. It was, it was too many and you're shows. Traveling it, it, for those. Yeah. And, and if my wife were home right now, she would have popped in and said it was too many shows. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, and I was, I was gone I a lot. A lot and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what happened is during that same time is when they really wanted me to lean into media. I tried Instagram for a couple of years. I mm-hmm. never got good at Instagram or good mm-hmm. at Instagram, you know, in terms yeah. of yeah. turning it into part of my business. So I finally went out, upload photos whenever and people that want to look a look. Yeah. Twitter. I hated from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook I was doing well with, and then it just shifted and and the organic reach disappeared and whatever. And so all of a sudden the YouTube space really three or four years ago, really Casey Neistat was pushing um, the the, the medium forward. And I I leaned into the YouTube channel. So over the course of two years, I uploaded over 400 videos. So I was filming, editing, and uploading three to four videos a week on top of my schedule. And the answer is, to where did the hours come from, which is I stopped sleeping for two wow. years. I mean, I just that's, stopped sleeping. That sounds healthy. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> and um, But when I was doing the YouTube channel, the first hundred videos, I didn't look at the numbers because there were only 10 people watching. Right. And if you pay attention to the fact that there was only eight to 10 people watching and three of them were probably me hitting refresh, yep. right? Yep. And, and, and when you see that, you go, it took 10 hours to edit that video right? I, I could never have kept doing it if I was watching the numbers. Right. I love but, that example. That's so interesting. But now two years later, it didn't become massive, but it's got uh-huh. 10,000 subscribers. I mean, it brings in bit, like that's it, massive. I would yeah, say that's massive. It brings in like five to $6,000 of passive income. If I never uploaded another video, that's videos that are already there bringing that in. And so, you know, a, a year, wow. right? I that's, mean, it's not money really to brag good. about, but yeah. it's real, it's real money. It's nice not vacation a hun- with that. Exactly. It's yeah. real money. And so at some point, once I noticed my view count was like 50 per video, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, now can I get it to 80 per video? Uh-huh. Now can I get it to a hundred per video? Right. And then I started, and, and when I realized- that? Yeah, like what was- 
the, the way that I did that was, was by listening to my audience, which uh-huh. at that point I realized, okay, you're attracting a certain type of person, right? I didn't know who I was aiming for at the beginning. I was just making what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And eventually I was like, I realized 90% of the people and 90% of my views were on my audio review and audio tutorials, not my vlogs, which were the fun thing to make. Filming me all around the world and nice cinematic shots was fun, but I was getting tens of thousands of hits on every time I uploaded an audio tutorial or or, or something like that. Uh So I started going, for every two videos I make for myself, I'm going to make one video for those people. And then those people that would want, you know, 10,000 people would watch an audio tutorial, then two or three or 400 of them would come watch a vlog to see what I was like behind the scenes. Yeah. So I got to make the fun stuff for me and I got to do the thing that was actually bringing viewers in for them. And that's how I used the metric was to find a balance. That's so interesting. I honestly, maybe we could have a whole different conversation and tape it for the podcast fellowship, or I could just excerpt this, but like, I love that example of, you know, the process of doing it at first and not looking at the numbers and then eventually using the numbers to make improvements and to kind of tailor your content towards that. That's a really good example. I love it. We could continue on this track, I think for hours, but let me at least move over for a second to get to the whole purpose of this show, uh, which is chance encounters, lasting impact. And do you have a story or some stories of a person that you met randomly that made a, a huge impact on your life in some yeah. way. So, okay. Actually, I don't know if you want to, well, we, uh, let me not say you can edit this out. Basically we could go. I, the thing is, I feel bad because we've talked about Seth so much already, this conversation, <laughs> but that was the first one that came to mind. Do you mind if we go that direction? If you want to talk about Seth, what I didn't want to do is make yeah. you talk about Seth. Cause I feel okay. like everyone who meets you now is going to be like, tell me about Seth. And it's like, listen, no, it's not like that. But- it wasn't like that, but that really is like to not include that would not be like including the the chance encounter that really did kind of change my life. So So, please, by all means. Okay. So I guess I know that you have talked about a chance encounter of meeting somebody who who said that they liked your hat. (laughs) That was definitely, I think that would be qualified as more of a chance encounter than the one I'm going to tell you about. But I met um, Seth Godin, who we've been talking about on this podcast and whose work everyone is familiar with through kind of a chance encounter. I was working um, at a podcast company. Actually, I would be remiss to say if I didn't, I was working at a podcast company, a big podcast company up until October of last year. I've since then quit my job and started my own podcast company called Domino Sound. And that was that was thanks in large part to Seth. But when I was at my old job, um, I would basically get assignments of podcasts that I would work on. So that kind of took away some of the joy of what we were talking about earlier, being able to you know, pick the people that you want to work with. But in some cases, the assignments of people I was working with were incredible. And so I one day was asked to get on the phone with Seth Godin to talk with him about producing his podcast. I will be the first to admit, I was not at all familiar with his work prior to that at all. And so I kind of did the thing where I like got on the phone. I had like Googled him. I was like, okay, like this guy seems really cool. Um, Got on the phone. And I think like kind of Weirdly, this is my take on it. Part of the magic of why we got along so famously was like, I didn't necessarily like fangirl right away. Do you know what I mean? Because I like just really didn't know. Like I had no idea. Um, He was kind of like, do you want to, and you know, he always, he um, has meetings. He has an amazing office outside New York City. You kind of take the train to get there. Um, He invited me over for lunch. He cooks really healthy lunches. But, and, and that encounter was something that I didn't realize that we were going to become such fast friends and such fast collaborators. But 
it was it was something that was so different in the way that he treated me as somebody who was, you know, assigned as a producer to his project. He treated me like it was something where it was just like a level of respect and interest and a desire to also like figure out how he could help me somehow. And it was, you know, he talks a lot about posture. And so like the posture that he was approaching our projects and all of our collaborations with was just with like generosity that I hadn't really experienced like at all previously. So, so just that personal interaction was something that obviously was, had a huge impact on me. But then after that, of course, I, I familiarized myself with his work and like the best thing, talk about like learning from doing your work. Like when I'm producing the Akimbo podcast every week, I'm like, I feel like I'm just like injecting myself with like all of this knowledge of such a variety that I never would have expected. And so in the end, not only just developing the podcast fellowship together, but through immersing myself in his work and as you said, like his, his philosophies and the body of his work, it's like, it just has taught me so much about, um, and I, I'm actually a student in the Alt MBA right now. Um, oh, that's great. So there's, it's amazing. And there's, I was just listening to him and this is actually available for everybody. It's a Vimeo link, but he has something called the Ship It Journal. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't have it, but I'm familiar yeah, with it. Yeah, I mean, I literally just went and printed it out. Like he has a PDF <laughs> of it and he encourages that. You can also buy them online. But he also has like a, a 20-ish minute audio piece where he walks you through the Ship It Journal. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's like, and I mentioned this earlier in the conversation, it's fresh in my mind because I was listening to it last night, is like there are people who are professionals at getting projects out the door. And those are the words I used earlier. Like there are some people and like, as Seth was saying, those are the kinds of people who walk around differently. Like they carry themselves differently. If there's somebody in your office, who's the one who makes shit happen, like they are different. They're just different. And like, there's a lot of people who aren't like that. And I am in the process of like trying to become like that because I think as of right now, I'm like on the cusp. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm still waiting for permission from people. I'm still waiting for like the sets in my life to like give me projects to do. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the place that I'm at right now, thanks to Seth, is like figuring out how to become that kind of person who's a pro at making shit happen and getting those things out the door and into the world. And probably the, the most like, um, the, the newest thing that I heard him talk about in that video I was listening to last night was what you get out of like, and you're somebody who does, you're saying 250 shows a year. You have two, you've had two full careers. Like you're familiar <laughs> with what I'm going to talk about, but like the, the feeling of when, when you ship a project or when you do something new or outside your comfort zone is like the feeling of doing something for the first time. And it's like, you know, at a, obviously at a certain age, you forget what it's like to do something for the first time. It's like, I don't even know what that feels like to do something for the first time anymore. And when you're making projects happen, like you can feel like that every time you press like publish or whatever it is that you press. I have, to, I have to say, I think that, and I, I would love to talk more about your new, your new venture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's called. It's called Domino Sound. Domino Sound. The website okay. is dominosound.co. And, and it's a beautiful, if, if bare website. I, yes, I did. <laughs> I know, I know. It's very new, uh, but it's clean. I love, yeah. I love the, the clean. I, that's, that's, I, I aspire to have my websites that clean. My websites get so bloated over two years. I build I'm out sure. menus of things. Of and then, stuff. and then like every two years I call somebody, I'm like, rebuild my website from scratch. Get rid of oh everything. God. I know, I know. <laughs> but um, I would love to talk more about that. And I, I think to what you just said, like learning how to ship, 
it's great that Seth is pushing on that, but I have a feeling that even if you had never met him, if you started your own company like you just did, you yeah. find out real quick that you have to push projects out the door because you literally don't get paid if you don't. True. That is <laughs> it, so true. I know. It's like, which it's is a why. It's a different story when you have your own thing. Exactly. So for, for you in this new company, who is your dream client? If you could only work with one type of person forever, who is it? That's a really good question. I love working with artists. Like I love working with um, primarily the people that I'm working with now on the projects that I love best are writers. So my podcast, who you I've mentioned a lot of times in um, throughout the podcast fellowship is called Food for Thought, Food the Number Four, Thought spelled T-H-O-T. And it's a group of four multiracial queer writers. Um, and it's really fun to be able, I like working with writers because they have, first of all, they have such great ideas to begin with and they like write amazing copy, but also it's really fun to work with people like that and bring their ideas like to life in audio. So I love working with artists. Um, but beyond that, I mean, at Domino, I think our, our goal really is to be doing projects with like, our first project was with the city of Seattle, actually. Um, I just got back from Seattle. We were taping a podcast with them and it was basically like with the tourism board of Seattle to talk to like some of the most interesting people in Seattle about the work that they do and ideally promote tourism, you know? Um, that's cool. So that's something I would consider like a branded project. So those are the kinds of projects. Like I, I love working with brands and clients like that who are kind of aligned with our vision. We were highlighting a lot of stories of like queer people, people of color, stuff like that. But ideally it would be kind of using those projects with either brands or kind of bigger name clients to fund original content that we would develop. So like developing the projects with writers and creating a pilot and then pitching it out either to podcast networks or, you know, releasing it under a Domino Sound label. But essentially, it would be kind of a mix of those things, ideally. I love that you just described that I, that is exactly the philosophy that I subscribe to. Right? And, and, and which is if you can find the type of client who pays kind of the bills right? with work that you you don't hate, right? Just yeah, enjoy exactly. doing it. You're good at it. You can do good work for them. Yep. Then you can choose your projects other than that. Exactly. And for me, that's why the podcast was really easy for me to to just do and ship, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I had no intention of this being part of my income. And if it ever does monetize like my YouTube channel did, great. Yeah. But it's not the goal because I have these massive corporate clients who pay me to come keynote and do workshops exactly. and it pays the bills, which means not only can I choose to run a blog that's not that has no ads on it and I can yeah. choose to run a podcast and I can do all this stuff, but I can also choose occasionally uh, when someone calls me from a nonprofit or they have a low budget and I'll say, instead of me giving you my low nonprofit rate, I'll just do it for free. Save your right. money and use it for something else. That's I can choose to do stuff for free when yeah. I want to because the big clients are paying my bills. Exactly. And that's, I think that's a better way to be, I, I, I think if you can get there, it's a better way to be. And, yeah. and you can't, at the beginning you end up taking kind of any job that comes by because you have to pay your bills. Definitely. But the quicker you can transition out of that, the better, totally. I, I think. And that's actually like, so that was what I had been doing when I'm I was telling you, I, I worked at this big podcast company owned yeah. by like scripts. It was, it was pretty corporate, you know, it was still yeah. cool because it was like podcasts and everyone who works in <laughs> podcasts are like relatively like nerdy and weird, but <laughs> like that. So during that time I had, it was, the model was like, 
having a full-time job and then doing like the side projects. And then when you realize again, the level of privilege and it takes you a while to get there, but like if you can quit that full-time job and do your own thing and still kind of maintain that same model, that's like kind of the dream. Okay. So let, let me come back full circle because your story was about Seth. Uh, and so let me come back once to Akimbo. When you started yep. working and where I'm going to link Akimbo in the show notes, because every human on the planet should be listening to this. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely unbelievable. Now I know half of that is Seth, but yeah. the other half is you because you're producing it. And mm-hmm. so I want to ask you about that, which is, it is one of the most unique tones Mm-hmm. of any podcast I've listened to mm-hmm. at the beginning, how much did Seth come in with like a, here's what I want you to do for me versus yeah. how much did you help move that in that direction? Because you have, you, the two of you have created this incredibly unique thing. Yeah, it is really unique. And it was actually, so it won't surprise you when I say the vast majority of that was Seth and Seth's vision, you know? Um, and I will be the first to admit that Seth and I, at the very beginning worked on a little bit of format stuff. Like we worked together on developing that cold open that he does. Mm. We worked together on kind of, you know, where to insert the the little music track and like the, the little stingers and the little things that kind of break up the conversation. But it essentially was like, if anything I could say about it, it was like me trusting Seth's vision. And at that time we were beholden to the company that I was working for when I was like oh. producing it under that company. So in, and as you're saying, like, it's a very unique tone to that podcast. Like there aren't that many podcasts that are like a a host on mic, you know what I mean? Just talking kind of like a monologue. So it was actually also a little bit of like convincing the higher ups that this is a good idea, you know, like convincing people that like Seth knows what he's doing and this is going to be something that's going to really resonate with people. And now it's kind of just a matter of Seth and I working together. He, he will basically, he comes up obviously with the content and writes it all. But he and I just work closely together to like talk about the episode edits, to discuss how we can improve things. But I mean, working with him on that is really a dream. And he he has a very clear vision. And I step in and help where I can from like an audio producer perspective. And he really appreciates that. But for the main for the main thing, it's it's really a lot of, of Seth's genius. I think the lesson there is that when you're working with in, in any field, when you're working with somebody who has a good sense of who they are and their yep. audience and knows what they're doing, that the most professional thing you can do is get out of the way. Exactly. Exactly. Right? That was my takeaway too. Well, uh, I would love to do this for hours, but I'm going to let you go. I really, I really so I appreciate uh, your time. Hopefully we can meet up in New York and I will be reaching out to you separately for my own question with your uh, your new company. There may be something Perfect. you can help me with. Amazing. So. Thank you so much. I really loved talking to you. I'll talk to you soon. Before you treat your ears to Alex's incredible body of work, here are a few takeaways from this episode. First, Whatever work you do, there's always something new to learn, either from the work itself or the people you interact with. Particularly, if you feel bored in your job, stepping into a student's mindset might reveal a completely new perspective in the familiar. Second, the numbers aren't important until they are. Ignore the view count, the likes, the shares, until you're really proud of the work you're doing. Then use the metrics to discover your audience and make more and better work for them. Finally, get in the habit of finishing projects, not just starting them. It's the most direct path to success, even if you're not very good yet. The mere act of sending projects out the door is how you get there. 
Visit onenewperson.com for links to Alex's various podcasts, including Food for Thought and Seth Godin's Akimbo in the show notes, along with related links to topics covered in this episode. As always, email subscribers receive early access and bonus episodes like full, uncut conversations. Sign up at brianmillerspeaks.com slash one new person. I'm Brian Miller. This is One New Person, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.